From the early church to the modern era, Christians have been led astray by false teaching. What's being taught that causes so many to be deceived? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah reveals the five major errors that compromise the Colossian church and continue to mislead the current generation of believers. To introduce today's timely message titled, Beware, here's David. Well, I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, This is a very important lesson from the book of Colossians. Paul wrote this book from his jail cell in Rome. It's a prison epistle. He wrote the book, and actually this letter, which became the book of Colossians, he wrote the book to the church in Colossae, where Epaphras, the founder and pastor of the church, was trying to help his people withstand the false doctrine that was being forced into their church. He actually, Epaphras did, went to Rome and told his mentor what was happening. Obviously, Paul couldn't just get out of jail and go back to Colossae, but he wrote this letter. He wrote this letter to the Colossians, and it has become one of the great assets of the New Testament. It's not often studied because it can be hard, but it is so powerful about the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's almost, what's the problem? Christ is the answer. And I hope that you are following along as we're studying this. And if you want a permanent record of everything we're saying with additional material, in fact, in the book, Christ Above All, which has just been released around this series, in the back of the book, there's kind of a little study section where there is uh, questions for you, community builders, things for you to do uh, as you read and study this, a great book for small group studies. Be sure and ask for your copy of Christ Above All when you send your gift to Turning Point during the month of August. I hate to tell you, this sounds a little uh, foreboding, but it's important. This message is called Beware. Here's part one. Rita McLean's spiritual journey began for her when she lived in Iowa. She grew up in the fundamentalist world of the Pentecostal church. In her 20s, she tried less doctrinaire Protestantism, and that too proved very unsatisfying to her. By the time she was 27, she had rejected all organized religion. She said, I just felt pretty wounded as a Christian. And for the next 18 years, She sought inner peace through nature, through rock climbing, through mountains, hiking in the desert. That seemed enough. But a few years later, in the aftermath of an emotionally draining divorce, Rita McLean's spiritual life took another direction. Just as she had once explored mountains and began scouting the outward life, she began looking into the inner landscape of her own heart. She started with Unity, a metaphysical church near her Marin County, California home. It was a revelation light years away from the Old Testament kind of thing she knew growing up as a child. And the next stop was Native American spiritual practices. Then it was Buddhism at the Marin County Spirit Rock Meditation Center where she attended a number of retreats including one that required eight days of silence. These rituals melted into some sort of a personal religion, which McLean would celebrate at an altar that she built in her own home, an altar consisting of an angel statue, a small bottle of sacred water, 
blessed at the woman's vigil, a crystal ball, a pyramid, small brass image of Buddha on a brass leaf, a votive candle, a Hebrew prayer, a tiny Native American basket from the 1850s, and a picture of her most sacred place, a madrone tree near her home. Every day, she would worship at that altar. And you might think that's kind of strange, and it is. And you might think nobody does it. Oh, they do. Oh, yes, they do. A lot of people think that if you just keep adding more gods, you have a better shot. So they keep adding stuff here and there, and they end up with a cocktail of doctrines that totally diminishes the centrality of Jesus Christ. False teachers who came after the Colossians were very much like Rita. They borrowed from everything to create their doctrine. And it seemed like they made it up as they went. What they embraced and what they were trying to get the Colossians to embrace was a coalescence of rituals and restrictions and regulations and angel worship and legalism and mysticism. No wonder Paul was in such great agony over what to say to this young church. I was in great agony this week trying to figure out how I was going to explain it to you all. In this extended passage, Paul is going to present five major errors that were being foisted upon the Colossian believers. These errors were intellectualism, ritualism, legalism, mysticism, and asceticism. That outlines the passage. I promise you I won't get you lost if you stay with me. These are five major threats to our Christian life. There are five ways we trade in the abundant life of Christ for slavery and condemnation. There are five ways we forfeit the fullness of Christ in our life for something much less. No wonder there are three commands in this passage. Here they are. Verse 8, beware lest anyone cheat you. Verse 16, let no one judge you. Verse 18, let no one cheat you. Paul is writing to the Colossians, and he's saying, if you're not careful, they're going to come and steal your religion right out from you by adding all of this craziness that's in their doctrine. We begin with the first of the five errors in verses 8 through 10. Intellectualism. Remember, the word Gnostic means to know. It comes from the Greek word to know. And the Gnostics were proud intellectuals. To put it in everyday language, they considered themselves smarter than everyone else. Have you ever been around somebody like that? Somebody who wants you to know how smart they are so you can become smarter. As Paul is walking around the city of Rome, chained to a Roman soldier, he's about to warn the Colossians about this. Don't get sucked in by their false intellectualism, by their proud knowledge. He says there are four marks of this kind of intellectualism. They're all found in the eighth verse. He said, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. He warned the Colossians to be careful because there were people out there who wanted to rob them of their Christian faith. He's not putting down intelligence. He's not putting down philosophy. The word philosophy just means the love of wisdom. Paul was warning them against a kind of philosophy that was being imported into the church, a philosophy that was empty and deceitful and seduced believers away from the simplicity, which is just Jesus Christ. You're going to learn through this lesson, Christ is all you need. He's all, all you need. 
And in case you haven't noticed, this same ideology that was creeping into the church in Colossae has been imported into our culture. It's in our churches too. False philosophies which are pervading the culture. I wrote down some of the things people are pushing on us now in the name of religion. God helps those who help themselves. Find that in the scripture. He will love us more if we're good. He will judge us according to our accomplishments. Anything that feels good must be good. Self-expression is the only way to self-realization. Enjoyment is enrichment. Christ is the best of all good men. A really good example for us to follow. Nothing more. What we are is what we acquire. Our worth is determined by our productivity. Health and wealth gospel. And so it goes. Everything from playboy philosophy to materialism, astrology, scientism, socialism, all trying to get the American mind to be manipulated and motivated primarily to spend money. (laughs) And often Christians are among those who get caught up in this because they have an emptiness that has not yet been filled with the fullness of Christ. And his fullness is what fills our emptiness. There are many false philosophies. They all share a common core. In his first paragraph of this section, the Apostle Paul outlines these characteristics of a seductive philosophy. He said, first of all, these philosophies are deceptive. J.B. Phillips translates this phrase through intellectualism and high-sounding nonsense. The word philosophy is not found anywhere else in the Bible. Believe it or not, it's not a Bible word. It's a reference to the highest effort of your intellect if God isn't in the picture. It's everything you can do, the best you can come up with if you don't believe in God. Philosophy is the love of wisdom, but in this text, it's the love of a kind of wisdom that X's God out of the picture. And the key word here is the word deceit, which occurs 18 times in the New Testament. And it's all about people trying to pull the wool over your eyes by saying to you, well, if you just knew what I knew. If you just had the knowledge I have, if you just been to the school I've been to, if you just were as smart as I am, you would know that there's much more to being a Christian than just loving Jesus. Deceptive. And people fall for it. Donald Gray Barnhouse, the great preacher and writer, used to illustrate this by telling of a practical joke that he and his teenage friends used to play on unsuspecting passers-by in a large city. Here's what he did. His group would stand on a busy corner, and they would look intently into the air. And one of them would point and say, It is not. And a third friend would argue, It is so. At this, one or two people would stop and begin to look up in the same direction as Barnhouse and his friends. And as the argument grew more heated, others would stop and gaze at the point the group discussed. Then, one by one, Barnhouse and his friends would quietly slip out of the crowd and gather a few yards away to watch the results. By this time, 15 people were looking into the air. The crowd changed as new passersby came along and joined the group, and those who had been staring longest left. Twenty minutes later, several people were leaning against a building looking up for something that was not there and had never been there. And Barnhouse observed, that little incident is a good illustration of all of the earth-born religions. People talk about having faith. They tell you to look in a direction where there is absolutely nothing. 
Some people are so desperately in need of seeing something that they will look till they're almost blind and they never catch a glimpse of anything real. Deception. People come along and say, we know you don't know what we know. If you knew what we knew, you'd crave what we have. But when you look up to what they have, they ain't got anything. It's emptiness. Empty deceit. Not only is it deceptive, these kind of philosophies always claim antiquity. By that, I mean they always say they've been around for a long time. In the verse it says, according to the traditions of men. In other words, you need to believe this because it's been around for a long, it's older than Moses, it's older than Job. And of course, none of that's true. They made it up on the way to the conversation. It's relatively recent. But in order to give it credibility, they have to add antiquity according to the traditions of men. And then it's demonic. This one you have to dig a little deeper. Gnostics were boasting of a truth according to the basic principles of the world. That's what it says. Now, the first thing you need to know about that is that's a little phrase that means the alphabets of the world. It was very elementary. But that phrase, the basic elements of the world, is often used to translate satanic forces, the elements of Satan. The expression usually argues that evil forces are in control of this doctrine and that these demons are trying to bring the Colossians back to the bondage that they knew before they became Christians. How many of you know that when you get saved, the devil doesn't leave you alone? I think you get more attention when you become his adversary. I spent the better part of a year researching the philosophy of socialism. I don't think I've ever researched anything like I did that. And I can tell you that it is demon-controlled. Its founder, Karl Marx, was possessed of a devil, and his doctrine is a demonic doctrine. Paul said, this intellectualism that's coming at you back there in Colossae, it's deceptive, it claims antiquity, it's demonic, and then finally, it's enslaving. He says, beware lest anyone cheat you. This is one of the three imperative warnings in this text. And some translate the verse, don't let anyone take you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies. The phrase means to take someone like you were capturing a prisoner of war. And Paul says, if you're not careful, all of this craziness that people throw at you in the name of religion can actually capture you and take you away so that you lose all of the vitality of your faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, be careful that doesn't happen. Let me just say to you, if you're dabbling in strange doctrine, and it wouldn't be surprising to me if there's more than one person here who's doing that. If you are listening to arrogant teaching that does not seem right to you, it does not ring true, it's not what your Christian friends and your family embrace, my advice to you is to run as fast as you can away from that seductive philosophy. Get out while you can. Get out before it's too late. Renounce anything that does not see Christ as everything. You need to do that. And then Paul goes on, having warned them, to present the folly of abandoning Christ in verses 8 through 10. Now, let me just give you this little interpretive comment. We usually don't start new thoughts in the middle of a verse. But in this case, it is warranted. Paul has just described the emptiness of false intellectualism. And before he enters the subject of the fullness of God, he inserts a summary statement. Look at your Bibles and you will see it. 
all that he has written about is not according to Christ. You see that phrase? If it's not according to Christ, you don't want anything to do with it. What he is about to say is according to Christ. What he has said is not according to Christ. In verses 9 and 10, he says, For in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. The whole purpose of saying that is, quit looking around for something else. You've already got it all. You've got Christ. What else do you need? You need to understand what you have, but you don't need something else. The Gnostics were trying to spread the fullness of God among angels and spiritual agencies. And Paul is responding by declaring that the fullness of God dwells only in Jesus Christ. That's what it says. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And when we are told that this fullness dwells in Jesus Christ, what it is saying is that the Godhead has taken up permanent residence in the body of Jesus. I have been telling you this ever since I've been your pastor. I don't know where I heard this the first time, but I say it every time I can. Jesus Christ is God walking around in a body. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ isn't just a good man. He's not just a great teacher. Jesus Christ is God. He's the son of the living God. Jesus Christ was on this earth, and when he was on this earth, he was God walking around in a body. So we learned, if you want to know who God is, study Jesus, because Jesus is God. Philip said, show me the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus Christ is God. And when he came into Bethlehem, he was given a body. Now listen to what it says here. He's the fullness of God bodily. In other words, in his body, he's God. The body of Jesus was fashioned by the Holy Spirit in the virgin's womb. In that body, Jesus lived. In that body, he displayed his deity. In that body, he died. In that same body, he came out of the grave. In that body, he sent into heaven. In that body, he's seated at the right hand of God. In that body, he's going to come again and take us to be with himself. In that body, one day he'll sit on the throne of David and rule over the empires of the earth. That body is now his, and it's forever. I remember when we all learned together that Jesus is in his body He took his humanity back to heaven with him. If you went to heaven right now, if you get exported in there, look around for Jesus. He's in his body. You will see the nail prints in his hands, the scars on his forehead from the crown of thorns, and you will know this is Jesus in his resurrected body. And in Jesus, says the scripture, is the Godhead. He is the answer to whatever weird mysteries were being foisted upon the Colossian church. They don't need all this stuff. If you got Jesus, you don't need intellectualism. In fact, I've discovered if you get Jesus, you get humility, not arrogance. People who really are into Jesus aren't walking around telling everybody all of their wonderful things about them. They're humble. So here's the great mystery. Here's the wonder that in Christ is the fullness of God. Now watch this. And if Christ is in you, Colossians 2.10, you are complete in him who is the head of all principalities. I wrote this down. Here's the wonder of this statement. Our fullness comes from his fullness. God is in Christ filling him up. Christ is in us filling us up. We have the fullness of God in our hearts. 
that vacuum I told you about that's empty till God comes, if you become a Christian, that gets filled up with the fullness of Christ. Who is Christ? He's filled with the fullness of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we become little gods, but we have the new nature in us. Before Jesus Christ comes to live within your heart, you only have one nature. It's the old nature, and it's in full bloom. It's doing all the stuff old natures do. There's no conscience about anything. Just do whatever you want to do what the old nature tells you to do. When you become a Christian, the old nature doesn't get exited. You get a new nature. Now you got two natures. You got the old nature and you got the new nature. And the Bible says they're at war with each other. The new nature doesn't want you to live the way you used to live. And I have a little poem I share every time I come to this doctrine. It goes like this. Two natures live within your breast. The one is foul. The one is blessed. The one you love, the one you hate. But the one you feed will dominate. Which nature are you feeding? Which nature are you giving a good meal to? Got to work harder at feeding a new nature. You did something right today. You came to church. (laughs) But you got to study the Bible. You got to ask God to help you build a strength in your life. One of the things that becomes obvious to us as we read the Bible is there's an awful lot of Old Testament things struggling for attention in the early New Testament Christian faith. And that brings me to the second point. The first thing that Paul addresses is intellectualism. The second thing he addresses is ritualism. And this is the passage most people don't want to preach on. I'm not crazy about it, but I'm going to tell you what it means. Colossians 2, 11 to 13. Let's begin with verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. One of the things that becomes obvious to us as we study Colossians is the fact that much of the false doctrine that was creeping into the church was a holdover from Judaism. The false teachers in Colossae were trying to bring their old Judaism into the new Christianity. Part of the cocktail of doctrines was the requirement of believers in Christ to be circumcised in order to be saved. That was what they taught. Many of the converts of the early church were Jewish converts. They'd grown up with all kinds of rituals and ceremonies, and when they accepted Christ— They struggled to leave behind their Jewish way of life. So many battles were fought over ceremonies and feasts and dietary restrictions. Acts chapter 15 and the two books, Galatians and Hebrews, deal with this almost exclusively. You read those books and you study that chapter. It's all about the fact that if you're a Christian, you can't drag the Old Testament law into the grace which is Christ. And if you try to bring the law in, we'll get to all that later, You're going to ruin everything. The law was for the Old Testament. It doesn't mean that we go and disobey all the things that are in the law. But when you get to the New Testament, Jesus elevated the law way beyond what it was in the Old Testament to include motives for whatever it's worth. Yes, Jesus uh, used this little phrase, you have heard that has been said, but I say unto you. In other words, this is what was said. Here's how you interpret that in the New Testament. And... um, I want you to know it's not a downward interpretation. It's upward. It's more responsibility because motive is involved. Well, tomorrow we'll finish up our discussion from Colossians 2, 8 through 23. And then we get to the third chapter. 
And uh, this is kind of the second part of the epistle. The first part is more doctrinal. This is more practical. And so during the last two chapters, Paul deals with things like the Christian home, and uh, he deals with proper communication between believers and how to deal with friendship and what it means to be in Christ. Uh, We'll jump onto that uh, when we get together on Monday and begin the second half of the book of Colossians. If you haven't already done so, I hope you will take time today to ask for your copy of the book, Christ Above All. Send a gift of any size to Turning Point today, and then just say, send me the book of the month, send me the book, Christ Above All, and it's coming to you as soon as we hear from you. You'll have every word that we're saying and much more. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Christ Above All, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, be sure to ask for your copy of David's new book, Christ Above All, a verse-by-verse study in Colossians to help you truly know who Jesus is. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions, with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Christ Above All, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you want to learn more about the person of Jesus Christ, the book of Colossians offers an unrivaled portrayal of our Savior. And to help you understand this important book in a deeper way, Dr. David Jeremiah has created a verse-by-verse study called Christ Above All. This helpful book and album are yours when you donate $60 to Turning Point. And with an $80 gift, you'll also receive the Written Word Journal. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. A wealthy man invited Pastor George Truitt, then the pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, to his home. The man showed Pastor Truitt the vast properties he owned, oil wells, cattle, and grain, stretching in all four directions. Dr. Truitt, pointing toward heaven, asked the man how much he owned in that direction, and the man hung his head, admitting he had no treasures in heaven. 
Jesus warned about laying up treasures on earth instead of in heaven, and the warning doesn't apply just to the super rich. Each of us has choices to make with what is ours, and eternal investments must be our priority. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's priorities for investing on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.